Hey everybody, welcome back to another Deep Rooted Podcast. We're so excited to, to have you joining us today. We have another great message for you in store. Uh, this week is taken from this last Sunday, and the message is called The Weapon of Praise. You know, sometimes you ought to just get into an atmosphere of praise and worship, no matter what circumstances you're going through, no matter what hardship you're facing. Praise is the weapon that enables us to get past those hardships. So I encourage you to listen up today, take some notes, uh, listen to it with a friend or watch it on our YouTube channel to watch the full service. But I, I, I can guarantee you this, that this will bless you today. Before we get into it, I want to thank all of our partners, everybody who's given to the ministry, to the church. We just want to say thank you. Uh, we believe that your seeds being sown are blessed in Jesus name. If you'd like to join and be a part of giving at the church and have a journey, a giving journey starting today, uh, just go to deeprooted.church slash give, or you can text any dollar amount to the number 84321. But without further ado, let's jump on into the message entitled The Weapon of Praise. I heard about these two men, the Pope and a lawyer. They died on the same day, and Peter met them at the pearly gates, and he said, follow me, I'll take you both to your houses. Peter dropped off the Pope at this small, wood-framed house, one bed, one table, nothing really to it. Then he took the lawyer to his magnificent house. It was huge, had a big swimming pool, beautiful view out the back. The lawyer was overwhelmed, and he said, Peter, how did I manage to get this spectacular place, and the Pope only got the small place. Peter said, we have dozens of popes. You're the first lawyer. <laughs> if you have, do, who has their Bible this morning? Let me see your hands. If you have it in person or if you have it on your phone, I want to do something new with you guys starting this morning. Uh, what I want to do is I, I want us to, to prep our heart to receive from the Lord. Can we do that today? Is that something you'd like to do? We get in a habit sometimes of coming to church and just receiving the word, hearing the word, and leaving and forgetting what we heard and forgetting what, what the, the truth was of the day. And, and if we do that too often, we'll never have the benefit of coming to church. So I want you to do this with me. If you have your Bibles, whether it's your phone, your iPad, or a physical Bible, can you hold it up in the air this morning and just repeat this after me? Say, Lord Jesus, I open my eyes, my ears, and my heart to receive your word today. Amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to you today about the weapon of praise. The weapon of praise. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start here in verse 6. Colossians chapter 2. You know, I don't really have one scripture today. I have a bunch. So we're going to be jumping around from scripture to scripture. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible says this. It says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so you walk in him. Let me ask you this. How did you receive Jesus the Lord? It's in the Bible. Go find it somewhere. In Ephesians, the Bible says that by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith. So as you received him, how did you receive him? You received him by his grace through your faith. 
So by grace through faith is how we're supposed to continue to walk in him. Amen? It doesn't just stop at salvation. We don't just receive his grace through faith when we become saved. That should be a continual thing that we walk in. In other words, every single day, we should be receiving his grace through faith. Amen? It says this, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So this is what it's talking about here. As you received him, so you walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. How many of you this morning would like to be established in faith? It's a pretty good thing to do. When you're established in faith, nothing can move you, nothing can shake you. And so it tells us right here in verse 7 how to be established in faith. You know what it is? Abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. So abounding in thanksgiving is the way we remained established in faith. If you're not abounding in thanksgiving, chances are you're always complaining. You're always upset. You're always discouraged. You feel depressed all the time. And all those reasons are because you're not being thankful for what the Lord has done for you. You're not thankful for for what he's provided for you. You know, one of the stories I love in the Bible is the story of Job. I love his story because that man was afflicted like none of you. I don't, I don't think anyone else is ever going to experience what Job experienced in his life. And we can get in debates about what and why he went through what he did, but that's not the point. The point of the book of Job is to show us the true heart of worship. Because at the very end of his entire trial, the very end of everything, Job recognized who was God and who wasn't. While all of his friends kept trying to get Job to curse God, get Job to get mad at God, to shake the finger at God, to get really upset with what the Lord allowed in his life. While Job's friends did all of that stuff, Job, at the very end of his life, or the very end of his trial, gave the Lord praise. He worshiped him. He didn't let any of those things come into his life affect the way he worshiped and loved God. And that's a huge testament to his faith because most Christians living today would do what his friends wanted him to do. Oh, Lord, why is this happening to me? Lord, why are you doing this to me? God, if you were good, you'd you'd keep me from this. God, if you love me, then why would you let me go through this? And we would end up cursing God because we have a wrong understanding. But the way we stay established in the faith is by abounding in thanksgiving. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Someone say rejoice. Rejoice. See, Paul didn't just write this twice because he forgot he mentioned it earlier. He wrote this twice because he knows people have the tendency to forget. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, just in case you forgot two seconds ago, I say rejoice. 
We should be people who are always rejoicing in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of trials, in the midst of things that, that aren't seeming to go our way. We should be people who are rejoicing. Why? Because thanksgiving is the language of faith. Thanksgiving is how we communicate with God that we are in faith. Lord, I know this is happening, but I praise you. I thank you. I give you the glory for everything else. When we're able to look past the feelings, when we're able to look past the affliction, then we should be able to praise God no matter what we're going through. Amen? Amen. Amen. Someone say rejoice. In Psalm chapter 100, verse 4, it says this, enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Say it again. And into his courts with what? One more time. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be what? Thankful. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Praise should not be the caboose of the Christian train. Praise should be the engine. Praise should be the thing that's, that's pushing, that's pulling this thing all the way down to its destination. It shouldn't be the last thing that we think of. It should be the first thing. So today, I want to give you three things that you can write down, things that you can remember, things that can help you with this. Uh, three things that praise affects. You ready for number one? Number one, praise affects the devil. You ever like, maybe you don't like doing this, but you ever uh, seen someone who gets, who's highly irritable and you just know that if you did this, yeah. it would set them off. Yeah. It would push them over the cliff and, uh, and, and they'd lose it. You see, sometimes my wife does this to me, but <laughs> she's not in here so I can say those things. But whenever you have that person who's highly irritable, <laughs> forgive me if this is mean, but it's, it's, it's almost fun to irritate them because it's so easy. It's so easy. I'll give you an example. My, one of my dogs, her name is Chloe. She's like 50 years old. That thing is like a, a rat on legs. It, I don't know what's going on. You, you, you do tell her. You tell her I said it personally. I'll tell her when I get home. And she, uh, she, 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 yeah, she's highly irritable. She's a chihuahua. Chihuahuas, man, you, you just look at them the wrong way and they're barking, right? Well, sometimes when I walk into the room, all I have to do is step towards her direction and she starts barking at me. She's laying on her bed and all I do is I look at her and I just pretend to step towards her and she starts barking at me. And it's funny because she's highly irritable and it's easy. It's a, she's an easy target, right? <laughs> An easy target. Well, did you know the devil is an easy target? That's right. He's a very easy target. You know what ticks him off? You know what sets him over the edge? Praise. Praise. I'm going to give you a scripture just to back it up. In Psalm chapter 8, verse 1, I'm going to read this out of, the, out of the King James Version, if you're reading it with me. It says, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name, in all of the earth, praise the Lord, who has set thy glory above the heavens 
Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou might still the enemy and the avenger. That's a good scripture. He's saying, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, you've ordained strength because of your enemies so that you might still or stop in place, stop in his tracks, the enemy and not just the enemy, but the avenger. You know what the avenger is? Anyone knows what that means uh, when you avenge someone's death, right? You, you, you try to justify it after they've been killed. You try to justify their death and you try to come back and get revenge for what they've done. So not only does this scripture say that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, you've ordained strength to still the enemy, but also still the avenger, not just the enemy, but his backup, his sidekicks. Now, what does this have to do with praise? Well, now you, you jump to Matthew 21, verse 16. We'll put it on the screens too. But before this, Jesus, he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. This was Palm Sunday. And while he was riding in, the people were praising Jesus. And what were they shouting? Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. Blessed be the son of David. And so they were worshiping Jesus, throwing palm trees, palm leaves, clothing, ornaments, all those things before the feet of Jesus. And then after this entrance, he went into the temple. People were being healed. People were being cast, uh, delivered. And he was doing all these signs and wonders. He went into the temple. He flipped the money, uh, the tables over. He got upset with people. But then the chief priests and the Pharisees got upset because the children then came up to Jesus saying, Hosanna, 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 and they were praising Jesus for who he was. And so they got upset. So Jesus responded to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders, and he said this, uh, here is what they say. Jesus said to them, you have never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected Praise? What did we just read earlier? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. Actually, can you put it on the screen uh, in Psalms? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, you've done what? Put Matthew back up. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, you've done what? Perfected praise. praise. (laughs) See, Jesus was pulling directly from Psalm. He wasn't misquoting. He, he, wasn't, he didn't make a mistake here. You know what Jesus did? He commented on it. Jesus substituted ordained strength for perfected praise. In other words, he was relating praise to strength. He was relating that when you praise God, you strengthen yourself. When you praise the Lord, you're ordaining strength into your life. Amen. And that strength is what stills the enemy and the avenger. So praise is our weapon that we use against the devil. You know, I I had this message for you lined up last week. And like the three songs we sang last week were all praise. Every single song, the name was like was praise or something in it. And uh, it was perfect because this is what this, this, this means. There's one song that we sing frequently. It says, my praise is a weapon. It's more than a sound. My praise is a shout that brings Jericho down. Yeah. See, praise is more than just you singing and worshiping and, and having a good feeling. 
praise is a weapon that we use against the devil. This is why I, I'm, I, when, I, when I go to church and when I'm in a worship setting, I refuse to be still. I refuse to just sit there and go, Oh, praise is a If praise is a weapon, that weapon's not being used if I'm doing it that way. Now, I'm not saying you have to be emotional and jumping and all that. I'm not saying that that's what you have to do. But hear me out. Most people, and I'm sorry, but this is, this is men. Most women are pretty okay with this. Men are the ones who don't like to worship. I don't know why that is. We think that we're tough and that if we worship, we're not tough anymore. It's like when I was a, a, a six or seven-year-old, and I had to sing in my school play concert, and I thought, if I just stand still and not sing the words, I'll be tough. <laughs> That's what men still do. And those same men will watch football and scream at the TV and get happy. Now, keep screaming at the TV. That's fine. I, I like doing that, too. I'm not condemning anyone who does that. I'm encouraging that. If you want to be emotional, be emotional. But don't just stop at the TV. Bring it to church. Praise God. Bring it to church where it's actually effective. And, and the reason why we see a lot of families that are weak Families broken apart is because men aren't taking the leadership that God's placed on them to lead their family. And if praise is a weapon and that leader is not using that weapon to their advantage, there's going to be a lot of stuff happening in that family. Right. Amen? Amen? So it's important, not that you get emotional and jump around. You don't have to do that. But I'm just saying... The same emotions that you can feel from a, a football game or a NASCAR race or I don't know what it is we all like. I'm not talking to the choir today because I, I know how to praise my Lord. But whatever it is that everyone else likes and they get emotional about it and they get their fire lit about, that same place, you need to find that when you worship the Lord. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. We're all different. We all have different characteristics and personalities. I'm more emotional. I'm more expressive. I will worship a different way than someone else worship. We don't have to look at the word and say, oh, David danced in front of the Lord with all of his might, so every man has to dance. That's not what it's saying. That's, that's how David was. Notice also David was a musician. Musicians are usually more emotional than uh, non-musicians. You ever noticed that before? I'm a musician. I'm more emotional than most people because most people aren't musicians. So I'm not, I'm not saying to change your personality, but the same things that light your fire outside of the church, that place where it gets lit, find a passion for the Lord in the church. Amen? Get that weapon of praise out of its sheath and start using it against the devil. Why does it affect the devil? Because praise is what the devil wants. Praise is what the devil wants for himself. In Isaiah chapter 14, it says this, For you have said in your heart, uh, this is talking about the devil, I will ascend into heaven, 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. To to clarify, this was talking about Lucifer before he was the devil. And how Lucifer's, Lucifer's sin wasn't that he deceived Adam and Eve. Lucifer's sin was that he wanted to be praised like God. He wanted to exalt his throne above the throne of God. That was the sin, the transgression of Lucifer. Praise is what he wants. So when we praise God instead of the devil, it drives him crazy. Drives him crazy. Let's look here in Matthew chapter 4. It says, The devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain. This is during Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness. He was being tempted from the devil. It says, He took him to a high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All of these things I will give to you. If you worship, fall down and worship me. See, this is what Jesus was tempted with at the beginning of his ministry. This is what the devil wants to tempt all of us with in our life. If you fall down and worship me, I'll leave you alone. If you stop praising God, if you stop giving God the glory, if you stop being a Christian and doing all those great things, I'll leave you alone. Sound good? Coincidentally, when we stop praising God... We pray something else. You know, there's, no, there's, no, there's no part of our, of our worship, there's no part of us where we are idle in our praise. We're either praising God or we're praising the devil. There is no idol. There is no in between. We either praise God or not. It's like when Jesus told the rich young ruler after he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the, what, are you, what are you saying? There's only one that's good, and that's God. In other words, just either call me God or don't call me good. Right. Either we're praising God or we're not praising him. Either we're praising God or we're praising the devil. So we got to be careful that if we find ourselves in a season where we're not praising the Lord, someone else is being praised. But when we do begin to praise God, instead of praising the devil, he can't stand it. And if he can't be the one to receive worship, then he seeks to turn others away from giving true worship to God. If, if, if he can't get you to stop saying that, to stop blessing the Lord, to stop praising God, to stop calling God your Savior, if, you, if he can't get you to stop doing that personally, He'll try to get others around you, and he'll try to deceive other people to stop giving a true worship to the Most High. And in fact, most Christians, a lot of Christians, praise the devil more than they praise God. Most Christians praise the devil more than they praise God. What do I mean by that? Well, anytime you deal with something, that you don't like to go through, you don't like to 
You don't like the hardship. You don't like the tribulation. You don't like the trial. God, why the heck did you allow this in my life? You know what you just did? You praised the devil. God, if, if you're for me and not against me, then why is all this happening to me? I thought you were a good God. You just praise the devil. So you don't have to directly worship the devil, praise the devil, and have these weird ritual services and all that to give him praise. All you have to do is stop praising God. And not just stop praising God, but start blaming God for things that God has no business being blamed for. Thank you, Lord. See, if we truly understood how praise, how much praise stops the devil in his tracks from whatever plan he has to destroy you, whatever scheme that he has to, to steal from your life, if we knew how much praise stops him in his tracks, we would praise God so much more. Amen. We would. Every chance we get, we would be praising God. Now, again, you don't have to praise God during worship only. It, praising him isn't just when the band starts playing and the worship starts going and the people start singing. That's not just exclusively praise. It's a part of it. But praising God, like it said, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so you walk in him, abounding in thanksgiving. You can't be thankful without praise. You can't thank him for things without praising him for doing those things. So it's a continual lifestyle. The second thing that praise affects is this. Praise affects God. In Psalm 22, verse 3, it says this, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In other words, God, he puts his throne where praise is at. Wherever there's praise, he sits there. He's looking for praise. It's like, it's like God has a radar, and that radar is tuned to hear the frequency of praise. And wherever that, that frequency is pulling to, he's going to go to. He's going to sit his throne on praise. If people aren't praising God, the Bible says the rocks will start to praise God. God wants praise. That's right. And if we don't give it to him, he'll go to the next person who will. If I don't sit there and praise God and, and have this fellowship with him and praise him, he's not going to forsake me. He's not going to stop blessing me. But he's going to camp his throne where the praise is at. That blesses him. It blesses God. How many of you in here today would like to bless God today? Yes. See, God loves to be praised because he's holy. And he's the only one that's able to be praised justly. You see, we have all these people who have achievements. And they, 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 they do these great things. And we give them praise. And we give them respect and honor and all those things. Uh, that's a humanly praise. He don't deserve it. They don't deserve the praise because praise, true praise, can only be given to one who is truly holy, truly without sin, truly without any blemish. Our flesh, it fails. Men cannot be praised. People 
cannot be praised. Angels cannot be praised. There's many scriptures in the Bible where people had encounters with angels and they would sit there and start worshiping the angels, but the angels said, I don't permit you to worship me. I'm just an angel. Don't worship me for I come in the name of the Lord. See, men can't be praised and angels can't be praised. The only person that can be praised is our heavenly father who sits in heaven. Amen? Amen. He's the only one who can be praised. And because of it, he wants the praise. He's not unjustly trying to get praised like the devil. He wants the praise because he's the only one who can be praised. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, but with that, with, without faith, it is impossible. Someone say impossible. impossible. Does that mean it's possible? Impossible. It's impossible. Does it mean we can do it? No, it's impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is not doable. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you don't have faith, can you please God? No. The short answer is no. If you have no faith, can you please God? No, you cannot please God. You need faith to please him. Now, we, the church has messed this up in all sorts of ways because we think that God's blessings are conditional and that his love is conditional. And if we're just in faith so much, then he'll bless us so much. And if we're in doubt so much, he won't bless us so much. And if we praise him, then he'll bless us. Anyone ever heard the phrase, when praises go up, blessings come down? Yeah. That's incorrect. That's invalid. That's false. It's not true. You know what happens when praises go up? Nothing. Because God's not going to bless you based off your performance. He's not going to give to you because you've done something right. He does things to you because of what Jesus did. Amen? So praise does not send the blessings down. Praise does not make God move on his throne. Praise does not do anything to the Lord except bless him. Now, I don't know about you. But we ought to be at a place, I want to be at a place in my life where I just do things for God because it just blesses him. Not because I get something out of it, but because it blesses him. It makes him feel good. I want to do those things. How about you? Valentine's Day is coming up. My wife, she has some gifts that are on the way that I bought her. I didn't tell her I bought her gifts and I didn't want her to buy me gifts. Now, honey, don't listen to this because I don't want you to get me a gift. But I bought her a gift with no expectation of anything in return because I love her and I want her to feel great about her gifts. Amen? Amen. And now, you know, you know what kind of people do things to get things? Children. Children. You train up a child, tell them to do, to do good things, and what are they going to get? Maybe they'll get a toy. And that's fine. You're training them. You're, you're helping them develop. But eventually, someone say eventually. eventually. You got to have that child grow up and just do things out of the goodness of their heart. Right. If not, you have a grown-up child. Right. You got an adult in diapers. I mean, <laughs> you, got, you need to... 
you need to really grow up if you still have that type of mindset. <clears throat> and with the Lord in the kingdom, we have a bunch of baby Christians walking around in diapers saying, Lord, praise you, I praise you, but bless me back, bless me back. I praise you, I praise you, but bless me back, bless me back. Grow up. Praising God's not about that. It affects God, but not in the way that you think. It affects God in the way that he likes it. It pleases him. It blesses him. And we ought to be good enough children to just want to bless our heavenly father. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. He delights in our praise. The reason why he delights in our praise is because, again, like I said earlier, when we praise, when we're thankful, we're operating in faith. When, when everything has, has come against you and you don't know where else to turn, and you start praising God, that's an operation of faith. I've said this before. Where there is no revelation of love, there can be no operation of faith. You can't operate in faith if you don't have a revelation on how much God loves you. And from that love, that revelation of love, that's where you can draw from to praise him. That's what what you can pull from to motivate yourself to praise the Lord. Now, let me be honest with you. Praising God is not something that just comes easy to some people when they're going through a trial. You've got to train yourself to do it. You've got to develop that willpower to do it. And it comes easy and easier and easier when you start acknowledging how good he is, when you start having those things at the forefront of your mind. Paul says it. He says in Philippians not to think of things that, are, that, are ang- that give you anxious thoughts or anything like that, but he says think of things that are lovely. Think of things that are pure, that are just, that, that if there's anything that's praiseworthy, think on these things. It's something we as Christians have to renew our minds to. And the more we start doing that, the more we start recognizing his love for us. And we can praise him from that. We can operate in, in, uh, in, in faith when we have an understanding of his love for us. But again, God's not blessing us more because we praise him more. That is a transactional blessing. It is something that we get because of something we did. That is not how God operates. But it pleases him when we praise him. And we ought to be in a place in our relationship with him where we don't just do things because we love, uh, we don't just do things because he reward us, but because we love him. Yes. Amen. Yes. So here's the third thing that praise affects. Number three, praise affects you. Number one, praise affects the devil, praise affects God, and praise affects you. Now, this is where the weapon is used. In Psalm chapter 139, verse 14, it says this, I will what? Praise Praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So look at that. Why is he praising God? Because God made him. He's praising God because he knows how God sees him. Man, God made me fearfully and wonderfully. God made me amazing. God made me, oh, I praise you. 
See, that, that's personal. That is a personal relationship with God. I, I'm, I'm all for praising God for what he did for this big group of people over here. But I'm more so for the people who want to praise God for what he's done for their life. Because that's personal. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. When we praise God, we esteem God in his rightful place in our heart. We put him, see, here's the thing. God is God. God is sitting on the throne whether you like it or not. But in your own heart, you get to determine who sits on the throne. In your own mind, you're the one who decides who is God in your life. See, God, God's, God's on the throne. If you don't believe in him, tough. He's on the throne. If you don't want him on the throne, oh well, get over it. He's on the throne. But for you, personally, you have to decide who's the God of my life. Who's on the throne in my life? For most Christians, they're on their own throne. For most Christians, it's all about them. It's about what they get, what they want, how they can get the most out of it. But when we esteem God, say, Lord, I praise you. I, I praise you for I am fearfully, I am wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows it very well. You esteem him in his rightful place. Mm, thank you, Lord. You know, in Romans, it says that we get saved by confession, by believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. It first takes believing in your heart. My soul knows very well. And then it takes confession from your mouth. If you can't speak, if you're mute, confession with your lifestyle. There's more to just to confessing than just saying a couple of words. Because there's a lot of Christians who have confessed with their mouth, but their lifestyle says something different. Right. Confession just means to say the same thing as. That's all it's saying. When we do our offering confession, I didn't just make up the words. I took them from Scripture. They might not say John 3.16 on there, but those words are from what the Word of God says. And so when we're confessing things, it's important that you know what you're confessing. We're not just going to get here at church and say, say this after me. I'm going to be prosperous because I'm so great. I'm going to be blessed because I'm the greatest of all time. No, that's not a confession. That's called fantasy. It's called make-believe. You know why it's called make-believe? Because you have to make yourself believe it. It's not real. When we confess things, we are agreeing with. We're saying the same thing as. When the Bible says confess the Lord Jesus and believe him in your heart, we're not just confessing, man, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead because I'm just so smart. I figured it out. No, that's not what you're saying. You're agreeing with what this already said. That's a confession. Amen? And so when we confess things with our mouth, it's because we're agreeing with what the words already said. When we confess, 
I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works for my soul knows well. When we say those things, we're esteeming God in his rightful place. We're agreeing with what was already said about God. We're lining up with our mind with the spirit of God. Amen. So praise affects you. See, one of the things that I've, I've found when it comes to marriage counseling and, uh, and stuff of that nature, <clears throat> when spouses are having marital issues, one exercise that I've commonly seen that people like to do is they like to get each spouse to either write down a list or to say things about the other spouse that they loved when they first met them, that they love about them today, just good things about their spouse. They want them to make a list and to write them down. You know what that exercise helps those people to do? It helps people realize what the, the, the character that they've lost in their head because of circumstances. When they look back to, to think of, of what their spouse was and when they first met them and how they loved them and what they loved about them and the things about them today that they still love about them. When they sit down and actually write down a list of things that they love and admire about their spouse, it helps them rekindle that love that they had for that person. Because commonly in marriages, it's not so much that the person's changed, it's that we start to pick up on the things we now don't like about them. And those things become bigger and bigger and bigger because we focus on them. We look at them instead of looking at the good attributes about them. We see all the things that we can nitpick about each other. We have little petty arguments, small things throughout the day. And eventually, after 10 years of that, we get to a point where we don't even love that person. Not because we stop loving who they used to be, but we start hating the things that we now recognize. And so a great tip and a good thing to do is to write down what you love about each other and to remember why you fell in love with the other person in the first place. When we praise God, it's not that God made any mistakes and we're nitpicking him and saying, oh, I hate him about this and this and that. When we praise God, we're reminding ourselves, man, how good he's been to us. We remind ourselves how valuable he is and how amazing he is and how merciful he's been to us. Because believe it or not, our relationship with God is that. A relationship. And just like a relationship can have a fallout here on earth, a relationship in heaven can have a fallout between you and God. Because one person decided to quit. You know who doesn't quit in this relationship? God. So what we need to do is recognize how good he's been, how great he is, the things he kept us from, the things that he took us out of, the things that he's blessed us with, and write down how great God's been. Friends, and it's not that hard to get ideas. Here's a book full of great ideas of how God's been to you. Just get in this. Someone wrote them all down for you. Most of them was from David. But we esteem God in his rightful place. And as we esteem God, we disesteem the enemy. It's like a seesaw effect. The more weight or not the more weight, but the more you esteem God, God will lift up. He will raise up in your life and your circumstances. And naturally, the other side of that uh, seesaw, it has to go down. has to be disesteemed. When you praise God, the enemy goes down to where he belongs.
A zero with the rim knocked off. So let me encourage you today, no matter what it is you're going through, just praise the Lord. The only power that the devil has is deception. When, he, uh, when you esteem him over God, you make yourself believe that the devil is bigger than God. That's the only tool he has is deception. So when we sit there and say, man, the devil's been afflicting me lately. Oh, the devil's been doing this. The devil's been doing that. The devil's this and the devil's that. And man, the devil did this today. The devil told me this and the devil did it. You know what you're doing? You're esteeming the devil. And you know what you're also doing? You're disesteeming God. You talk to the devil more than you talk to God. It's an easy fix. Just focus elsewhere. Start praising God. And naturally, God will begin to esteem in your life. And the devil will disesteem. I'm going to give you some examples and we'll finish today. Of praise being used to our advantage. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. This is about the, the story of the, the battle of Jericho. And now, I, most of you are probably too old to get this, but I grew up on Veggie Tales, and uh, I still watch them. I mean, my son watches them. And uh, most of these stories in the Old Testament, all I see is Veggie Tales when I'm reading the Bible. Uh, and so in the Battle of Jericho, in the real life version, the adult version, uh, we had this, this city, the city of Jericho, and it had this giant wall around it. And this city, the Israelites were instructed to conquer it, to pass through it. This was the beginning stages of entering into the promised land. And if they couldn't do this, then they couldn't enter the promised land. Now, what we don't see from this scripture is that 40 years ago, Moses was in charge. And Moses had sent 12 spies to go survey the land of Canaan, to go see the promised land, to see what it uh, encompassed and everything in it. And they got afraid and they said, we cannot take it up. We cannot conquer the place for they are too big for us. Uh, we're, we're, we're not able. For we're like grasshoppers in their own sights, they said. And so 40 years later, Joshua now arrives on the scene and he is in charge. And so he sends out two spies instead of 12 spies. And those two spies, they went into the city of Jericho and they spied out the land and they met this woman named Rahab. And this woman said, when you guys came earlier with Moses and all those people, we were so afraid of you guys because of what your God has done, how he parted the Red Sea, how he split the river, how he did this to that tribe and this to those people. We were afraid of him because of, of who he is. And so they missed out on taking this land because they were afraid and they had a misconception of things. And so now it was Joshua's turn. And because of that report, Joshua got instructions from the Lord. And here we find ourselves in verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up 
because of the children of Israel, none went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have already, uh, I'm sorry, I'm putting words in there. I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of valor. So God already gave them the city of Jericho. So see, I have given you Jericho. It's a done deal. So now it's time for them to go take it. Because I have given it to you. Verse 3. So here's the instructions. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And, this, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. The priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Now don't skip any words here, church. The, the wall of the city, it says, will fall down flat. Did you know archaeologists, archaeologists have proven this scripture that when they go to the dig site of Jericho and they try to excavate anything that they can find there there is proof and evidence that the walls of Jericho actually fell down flat in other words they sunk into the ground they didn't crumble they didn't fall down they didn't fall apart because then it would have been harder for the Israelites to enter the city to take what was theirs. The walls literally just sank into the ground. That was a, a, a miracle. And it says this, verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day after they did all their marching. And they rose early about the dawning of the day. And they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened. Someone say it. It happened, church. It happened. When the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Notice, the people had to shout before the walls fell. The people had to shout before they won the battle. If you do some research with this, you'll notice that the, the way of the order of the, all of the people of war, when they marched around the city, the priests were in the front. Now, what kind of crazy person would send priests on the front lines in a battle? <laughs> See, praise is a stronger weapon than anything physical. Praise is stronger than your fists. Praise is stronger than your swords. Praise is stronger than your guns. Praise is the strongest weapon that you can use against the devil. The strongest weapon. And we ought to use it. But notice this though. Praise is something that needs to be done before we see our victory. Let me give you one more scripture. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, this is the story of Paul and Silas. They were traveling around the world preaching the gospel. 
And they got a vision from the Lord and they came to this one place. And this woman was possessed with the demon and she was a, a soothsayer. She, she, she brought these two men who controlled her, these masters, a lot of money. And so she went and followed Paul and Silas around their journeys and, and, and she was being very annoying. And so finally Paul had enough. He rebuked the demon out of her. She was healed and her masters saw that she could no longer make them any more money. And so they got upset about that. And they took Paul and Silas before the religious people and, uh, and, and the rulers. And they said, look, these men have been preaching false doctrines. They've been doing unbiblical things. They've been doing things that are just un, un, uh, uh, unworthy to speak of. They're, they're horrible men. Put them in prison. And so they were wrongfully thrown in prison. The Bible says that they were taken into the stocks, that they were in the lowest of the lowest part of the dungeon, the darkest part of the dungeon. There was no lights. They had to have torches. It was pitch black. And so at one point in verse 15, it says, or verse 25, it says, but at midnight, so it's the darkest time of the night, it says Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. In other words, they were intently hearing what they were saying. They were, they were hearing what Paul and Silas had to say. The prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. See, Paul's first response to this circumstance that him and Silas found themselves in was to praise God. That's it. He didn't bind the devil, didn't rebuke the devil, didn't do any of those things. You know what he did? Praised God. The Lord told him, gave me this little thing in my heart this week. And he said, you know, sometimes we ought to just stop, stop rebuking the devil and just start praising God. Stop giving him more attention than he needs. Amen. Just praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's like when a bully tries to bully you. The best thing you can do is ignore him. Right. Just ignore him and, and enjoy your day. That's it. But the moment you start giving him attention, stop it. Leave me alone. That's the moment that he can afflict you more because he's irritated you. Now, again, rebuking the devil has its place. You see all throughout Scripture. But what I'm trying to tell you today is that praise should be our first response. Praise should always be the first response. When we praise God and we praise Him correctly, we should humiliate the devil so much that when we turn to rebuke him, he's already gone. That's right. yes. He's already too embarrassed to show his face anymore. Uh, praise not only got Paul and Silas out of prison, but all of the other prisoners who were listening to them, they heard them, and they were also loosed. Did you ever notice that before? Not just Paul and Silas received the breakthrough, 
because of their praise, but it affected everybody else. I believe it's because when they were praising God, those prisoners were listening, intently listening to them, and they possibly could have received the Lord or gave their life to the Lord at some point and also started praising God. But see, praise, it shouldn't be done to get out of a situation. It should be done out of love for God. Paul and Silas did not praise God to get out of jail. And there's proof to that. Because after this happened, the Bible says that the guard, the prison guard, was about to kill himself. Because everyone's cells were open and no one was there. But Paul said, don't do yourself any harm, for we're all still here. See, if, if Paul used praise to get out of that situation, the first thing they would have done was run out the door. That's what most Christians would have done. Lord, I praise you. You are so awesome. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. How marvelous are the works. Oh, break through. See ya. <laughs> See you next time, God. That's what they do. They go to God only when they need something. But see, praise should be done just because we love the Lord. And here's a little fun cliff note for you too. I believe that when Paul and Silas were having their little worship set and praising and praying to God, God, he was just loving the beat and loving the tunes. He just started to stomp his foot and all of a sudden an earthquake came and the prison walls were shaking. See, praise affects you. Amen? Praise affects the devil. Praise affects God. And praise affects you. Why don't we stand this morning as we get dismissed? Thank you, Lord. Has God been good to you today? That's a good answer. I would like for us to become a bunch of praisey people. Where we just praise God all the time. Amen.